up? We are back at it. The fifth season of Go Off, Sis, episode two. We are here. We are back. I'm back with my favorite Unbothered crew to give you the energy you need this week, this month, or just for the next hour, because that's what it is. All right. So today, I'm super excited for this conversation. We are going to dive into something we've talked about a little bit before, but really now we're going to sit in it and sit around it and really just get deep, okay? We are talking about luxury, Okay, so whether you are labeled up, down, and around, catching flights to Zanzibar, copping that Telfar, or lounging in your Target cropped fit, you can never deny our swag, our style, that little extra seasoning salt, because we elevate everything to luxury status. That, we already know. But even though we've shown over and over and over that our dollar has so much power and that the luxury industry has literally been built on our backs, how is it that black and luxury still don't fit in the same sentence together? Still undefined, and why does it seem that luxury doesn't love us back, okay? And what does it really even mean? Designer shoes, bags, a trip, getting flued out, a soothing bath, just some of your favorite black-owned products. We want to talk about it, what it means to us, what we love to luxuriate in, and why it is so damn hard for us and everyone else to enjoy and accept. All right, so we're going to get into it. I am Chelsea, your hostess with the mostest anxiety, and I'm here. I'm your VP at Unbothered. I want everyone to just share a little bit of what is our definition of luxury? What does that definition of luxury look like? And what is the last thing you splurged on? Whatever that means to you. So I'll start. I'm sitting in my last splurge, which is the apartment I am currently renting in New York City. We're not going to give government addresses, but as y'all know, I'm bi-coastal. I'm LA and New York. And right now, when I came back to New York to have a sort of like New York, you know, September fall with a side of hurricanes, I wanted to be somewhere that was beautiful and I felt calm in and I felt loved in and just like comfortable in. And so I spent the money to do it. And I think for me, it was a situation of where I would rather spend money on a space I'm in versus going out and like doing things in the world. Not that we're doing anything in the world anymore, let's be real. But like, I'd rather spend it on this space and this beautiful outdoor terrace than honestly, a real lovely concert and experience. I told y'all Made in America 2015 ruined that for me. Anyone else who was there can also attest. So for me, it's just, it's this place. It's this space. That is what I luxuriate in. And that is luxury to me. Okay. So Steph, how about you? How you feeling? I'm good. Hey guys, what's up? I am Stephanie. I am a senior editor for Unbothered. And Chelsea, as usual, we are like on the same wavelength. You guys know that I got this apartment that I'm in right now in February. And for the first time since moving to New York, I've really allowed myself to furnish my apartment with things that are of quality, things that I know are going to grow with me, things that I know are going to travel with me whenever I go and move into my next home, you know, versus getting something temporary like, you know, I'm going to get like a metal foldable twin frame because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. You guys know that I always talk about home being where you are. And I think because you've been in the pandemic, especially, it's just been really important for me to feel comfortable. And I kind of just felt like if not now, then when? So 
yeah, really have just been pouring a lot of energy into my space. I also recently splurged on some loungewear, maybe a little bit overpriced, but I just kind of felt like if we're going to be in the house, like I might as well have things that I feel nice in. Like, I don't think that we need to reserve, you know, spending money on clothes for being outdoors and being with our friends. I think that we are allowed to feel comfortable and cozy and sexy and to express ourselves even when we're just in our house. So that's luxury to me. Mm, ooh, already early with the words, Steph. Genuinely. <laughs> absolutely. And again, same wavelength. All right. Well, Kathleen, our comfy queen over here. Hey. How are you feeling? I'm in the loungewear as I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's your girl, Kathleen, repping for the T-Dot, coming to you from the six as I do. Senior editor here at Unbothered as well. If we're talking about splurging, I got to bring up the wedding. I am about to get married and I am spending... All my money, all the money on this damn wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Whoo, it's just, yeah, if we're talking luxury, that's like the the one thing. And I usually I don't spend money on things unless it's clothes. Like clothing is my weakness. My closet is packed with things I do not wear. And if I ain't got no money when I'm retired, it is because of all (laughs) the damn clothes in my closet. I feel like this conversation about luxury and what we're splurging on stuff is hard for me because I don't feel good when I mm. spend a lot of money ever. Mm. Like I have this weird like guilt association with spending money. And I think it's because, you know, my parents didn't grow up with a lot of money, but they had money when I was growing up, but mm-hmm. they acted like they didn't. Mm. <laughs> and so it was a very like Jamaican Ghanaian situation where my parents were like, we can't afford that shit. And I'm like, but I know you can, though. <laughs> but that's how I was raised. And so I just have so much like guilt every time I spend money on anything, especially if it's kind of a splurge, including my upcoming wedding. It, it hurts my soul every time I, I swipe a credit card. Yeah, that guilt is real. I don't know if you guys caught it, but I called the loungewear that I bought overpriced. And like, now that mm. Kathleen is speaking, I'm like, <laughs> is it overpriced? Or am I just having like, buyer's remorse. Like, I just, I don't know. I just feel like when I'm spending money, like, there has to be some, like, responsible intention behind it. And if there's not, if it's just me buying something because I wanted it, I'm like, did that make sense? Like, was I supposed to spend that money? I don't know. And I always question it. Yeah, no, same. I'm always, like, rationalizing these things out loud. Like, okay, but it but it was overpriced, but, like, I had a really hard day. Or, like, but it's overpriced, but, like, oh, my friend's coming into town. Or, oh, it's overpriced, but, like, I don't know, I wanted it. So, and that, I feel like the self-editing over and over when it comes to buying things is also just, like, really specific conditioning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also, like, Steph, we talked about this, like, we both, like, hate gifts, like, mm. with a fiery passion. It is, like, flames on the sides of my head. Like, I can't, I <laughs> hate gifts, and I hate receiving them. You're also probably not going to get a gift from me, to be honest. It is not my love language. It just, like, it's very hard for me to receive them as, like, real, and I don't know what that is. We're, we're working on it. Mm. We really are. But, like, that idea of having something that, like, I don't really need makes my skin crawl. Or what I think I don't need or maybe deserve, I guess, makes my skin crawl. Yeah, I don't hate receiving gifts, but it is hard for me to receive them as, like, genuine gestures or, like, tokens of appreciation. Because to Maya's previous point, she talks about this, about, like, 
the climate we're living right now is so transactional. And so like when people do things for you, they often expect something like in return. And I've experienced that. And maybe this is something that I need to like work through in therapy. I don't know. But I just get so uncomfortable when people just get me gifts. First of all, you didn't tell me you were getting it. And then like, (laughs) second of all, you just like, I don't know, you just like gave it to me. And I'm like, this is great. But like now I feel like I owe you something. No, literally. But Maya, I mean, let's hear from you. You talked about this a little bit in episode one, but what for you, what is luxury? What are you splurging on? Y'all already know who it is. It's your favorite social coordinator from the dirty, dirty South, 904 stand up. I feel none of this. Guilt when receiving (laughs) gifts, luxury. I don't know where this conversation is going, but it's it's really, what? I feel uncomfortable receiving gifts. I feel like I have to return the gift. I'm like, who are your friends? Because when my (laughs) friends give me gifts, they don't expect anything in return. They're like, oh, I was just thinking about you when I went to the store. I was like, thank you, girl. Oh my gosh. And I got a gift. Like, what? I don't know. And then when you were like spending money, girl... I'm the stripper in the club. Throw the money on me, okay? (laughs) Throw the money on me. I deserve the money, okay? Because any money I spend, it's going to come back two times over. It's already Mm. bought and paid for, wrote off on the taxes, all that. So I'm about to spend it like it's my last now. Mm. This is big Taurus energy. (laughs) (laughs) This is big Maya energy. Yeah, there you go. I don't don't love, as much as I do it, I don't love Mm. spending money on myself, but I do love spending money on other people. I love giving gifts. It's now noted that I will not send gifts to Chelsea or to Steph. But Maya, I'm going to send you some gifts, girl. I got you. You, my, you want my address? Because, baby yes. girl, we, we do very you. much that. <laughs> I think this is me now because the pandemic has really kind of shifted things for me. Like, prior to the pandemic, I was very much like, oh, I didn't, I don't deserve these things because, you know, I'm not an editor. I'm not CEO. I haven't done these things in my mind that I've were important. And then when I moved back home, I was just like, you deprived yourself of a lot of things because you didn't feel like you were worthy of those things. And you have mm-hmm. to stop doing that. Because once you invite that type of energy into your life, that's the only type of energy you're going to keep seeing. Once you live your life like you deserve great things, great things are going to come back. And that's just what's been happening. So I'm just like, nope, the money going to come back. Oh, I found $20. Oh, you know, <laughs> this oh, so-and-so in my DMs contract. I'm not, no, we're about to spend the money because baby... What I'm going to do when I die? Just leave it there? It's going to stay here on earth and I'm going to be like, dang, I should have bought them shoes. You are not wrong. And look, (laughs) the way you're describing it, I'm like, damn, I might be blocking my blessings. Girl. (laughs) Come out here in these good streets. But here's the thing. It's it's not going to change. Like that, it is who I am. And the way that I experience luxury, I think, is also... So funny because the way that even we're talking about it, we all have different concepts of what it means for us and whether that's personally, whether that's just like overall. And so I want to talk a little bit about like why that is and where our concept of luxury came from. Because Maya, you mentioned, you know, I felt like I had to be an editor or a CEO to feel like you deserved these gifts or these things. And I think that is a lot of like the internalization, right? You have to reach a certain status to deserve nice things, to get nice things. And when I'm thinking of like what that status is, like I'm thinking of like the tip drill video, you know, like BT uncut after dark, like credit cards slipping through booties and JLo on yachts. Like that's luxury to me. Like I'm not there yet. 
<laughs> like, that is what, to me, like, real luxury is. Like, if you don't have a thong on and some champagne bottles popping off them, like, then what are we doing? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. So if it's not at a 10, I'm at a zero. And I think, like, that's my concept of luxury is is excess, right? It's, like, over the top. It's sumptuousness. It's just a parade of excess. And that is unrealistic, number one, because we know half of those people are in, like, bankruptcy court. The other half are doing well, but what did it take them to get there? You know, like, so when we really think about that, like, that concept of luxury makes no sense, but it's 12-year-old Chelsea being like, hey, 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 let's go, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that that excess and luxury connotation together— I feel that as well. And I think that that's why luxury has a little bit of a negative connotation in my head now. Like I think of Jay-Z and Beyonce. When I think of luxury, those are the two people I think of. And I love them both. Like that's mom and dad. But I think that now in 2021, when we're having more conversations about capitalism and how detrimental that system has been to us and our communities and how black capitalism won't save us and how these like billionaire, abolish billionaires. And if a black person becomes a billionaire, Rihanna's a billionaire. Is my life different? Is, are the communities who are suffering that look like us, are their lives different because Rihanna's a billionaire? I think that we're having these conversations about excess and about luxury in a different way than we have in the past. And so when I think of a like throwback luxury, like the nostalgia of Beyonce and Jay-Z or the yachts and like J-Lo on a yacht with Ben, like that I think feels less icky to me than talking about luxury now, especially when we're in a panini, especially when we know that poverty affects, again, black communities more than anybody else. And then we're going to be talking about luxury and yachts and Tiffany diamonds, like Girl, that's a colonizer's diamond. Like, why are we talking about that? How is that the first Black woman to wear Tiffany diamond? How is that impacting our communities or moving anything forward? And if you have that much money, to me, you should be doing something good with it. I'm not saying those people don't do some good things, but I have a problem with that luxury conversation because all of these things come to mind when we talk Mm. about it. Oh, no, 1,000%. And I think, you know who heard that is Mackenzie Bezos because she broke up with Jeff and was like, here, take it. Just take the money. Yes, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want the, the money. smoke. Just take the money. Everyone else take the money because it just, it's completely outlandish like to, in this time and in this period of, you know, earth final season that we're in to have that much wealth and luxury and excess. And it feels really self-indulgent at best in in a lot of ways, you know, it's September, it's fashion month, it's Emmys, it's award season, Met Gala just happened. We have all of these parades of excess, like I said, and it's like, I'm still going to be looking, <laughs> I'm scrolling, but what what are we doing? Why are we still doing this? Like the relationship between luxury and us feels, feels weird now. And like you said, Kathleen, like nostalgic luxury might feel a little less icky, but what are we doing now? And I feel like that we haven't really had that conversation in the middle of a panini while people are are literally losing their lives and livelihoods. I feel like the dynamics has really changed because the BET Uncut was my jam too. And, mm. you know, you just, the glamorous life. But I feel like now 
everybody wants to be perceived as luxurious. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to be Gucci Louie down. So it looks like I have money when I really very much don't. And there's a confusion between gaudy and luxe. And it's just like you went out and bought every designer label that you could. And now you still look crazy. And it's not luxurious. It's not giving I'm wealthy. It's giving very much I know a friend who know a friend who sold something out his trunk. That's what it's giving. So it's just like, babe, just relax. Let the actual money talk, like the businesses talk. And you don't have to be on the Instagram straight flexion in the bins that's rented. It's fine. It's really very much okay. For me, luxurious is just calm. You see the truly wealthy people out here in Walmart t-shirts. Or it might be a Hugo Boss t-shirt, but you don't know it's Hugo Boss because it doesn't have any labels and the tag is tucked in. So be calm with your money, you know? And for me, luxury is also being able to spend my time how I feel like I should be spending my time. I can get up whenever during the day and say, you know what? Check the stocks. We up. We're going to go eat. That's all we're doing today. And we might go to the spa just because, you know, that for me is real luxury, not having to show everybody I got money because at the end of the day, that's how you get robbed, you know? Mm, you know, Maya, as you were speaking, I don't know if it was like this for you in high school in Florida, but I remember being in high school when I also lived in South Florida and like everybody, to your point, being like Gucci Louida. But you know, it probably wasn't real, but they would have like the matching, <laughs> like the fitted with the tag still on it. Oh, yeah. And then like the belt buckle that like lit up and had like the marquee text. <laughs> and then like the matching socks. And it was just like, first of all, you're like 15. We all, we know this ain't real. You, you, okay, like, told you, you, boy. You, you didn't buy it. It's like, what are you doing? And second of all, like, in hindsight, I'm just thinking about the fact that this idea of, like, luxury being excess, to Chelsea's point, has been ingrained in us since such a young age. Because back then, like, they thought, you know what I mean? Like, they were it. Like, you couldn't tell nobody anything. And it's just like, why were we doing this? Why? Mm. Yes. And it's so amazing, number one, the visual of these light-up belts, which I have not seen in my lifetime. <laughs> they but sold them in I kiosks. I need to go buy them. Is this a Florida thing? We, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get that. Like and the, the baby that. clips, the, <laughs> those other hair stations. But one of the things I think there are these expectations from other people, right, of like what luxury looks like. And also like pushing up against a lot of those stereotypes that we see in the videos, right? Like you see it on BET Uncut, you do it. And for a lot of us and a lot of Black people, and especially a lot of Black women, if you're, you know, dripping in a fit or, again, getting flued out, it's like, who bought it for you? What did you do to get it? You didn't deserve to have it. Like, that's it. And we're either gold diggers or broke. And those are sort of the standards of what it means to be luxurious sometimes as a Black woman, which makes no sense. But why do we have those, like, stereotypes, I feel like, that are still ingrained in us. I just feel like, watch your business, okay? <laughs> if I'm getting flued out on a private jizzy, what does that have to do with you? Like, white women have been getting flued out since the beginning of time and getting their back broken, all that type of stuff, and nobody was saying anything. And as soon as the city girls started rapping about it, it became an issue. It became a problem for black women to do it and be so public about it. And I feel like this is just really unfair to call somebody a gold digger because she found a man who could take care of her financially and he found a woman to fulfill whatever needs he needed and they got together, got married, and now they're happy. Why are we worried about it? Why? Because what's so funny to me is, where's your man? Where's your relationship? Where's your happiness? 
You don't have one because you worry about Young Miami. Stop it. Leave these girls alone. Let them do what they want to do. If you're a woman who got her own money and, you know, you have a different perspective of how relationships are running, great girl. Go find it. All relationships are not the same. So I'm not really seeing the problem with everybody trying to tear other people apart for their choices in life. Mind your business. Her getting flew out does not affect your pockets. Not none. So why are you... Girl, just ask her for the book. Just ask her what she's doing to get flued out so you could get flued out too and stop being mad. We just need the recipe. Like I, I said that before, <laughs> you guys, we just Girl. need the recipe. But I also think like one of the things that you're saying is just like mind your business because it, it is definitely like externally, right? It is mm-hmm. definitely like white people and all, have this concept 1000%. But to be honest, it's also our business too, because it happens internally in our community. Black men have this transitional concept. I've had to deal with that in my dating life too, of like, well, if I do this for you, what are you going to do for me? Like, you think this is just a one-way street? And so do Black women, if we're being real, real honest. Like, there is an author named Candace Braithwaite, who is a journalist. She's amazing. And she did this IGTV, like, way back, like six months ago, where she got on camera and she was like, I have to check myself because I was questioning a Black influencer who I love, where she got her stuff. She was doing an unboxing. And I was like, what does she have that I don't have? Why is she doing Mm. this? And she was talking about how she had to check herself because she never had those same questions for white women influencers. She never second-guessed them. And she never was like, where did you get that? Why do you have that? So I do think definitely it's it's a mind your business, but it is also our business, like, to be real. And we have to be honest about that because we are also looking at each other like that and with that side eye of like, well, why do you have that and I don't? Or where did you get that? And who said you can have that? It's not just outside in, right? We have that internalized perception a little bit. And when I say mind your business, I mean, even in the Black community, like she said, she had to check herself. Mm -hmm. Where she got that stuff from was none of her business where she got it from. Mm -hmm. She's just trying to tell you, girl, so she could put you up on game, but your mind is going to somewhere else. Where, like you said, if she saw a white person doing it, She won't even think twice about it. So mind your business in the sense that why does what somebody else does affect you, you know? And just be grateful that they're giving you the gems to live your life. This world that we live in is very transactional. It's very, oh, if I get you a Ferrari, you got to get me a house. If I do this, you got to do that. There's no more, I did it because... Because I had kindness in my heart. Just like Steph said earlier, I feel like when somebody gets me a gift, I got to get them one back. I don't need to do that. My friends love me. I know they love me. They show it in many a ways so that when they do things, I don't, they don't expect anything back. They just know that when the time comes and they need me, they know who to call. Mm. So when we go back to perceptions and like people questioning where, if you're a black woman, where you're getting your stuff, did a man give that to you? All that I think comes down to just the disrespect that black women get both intra community-wise and externally from white people. Like, it is, Malcolm X said it, the most disrespected person in America is a black woman. Like, that just happens for us. Like, that expectation that we can't do things for ourselves, or that if we do it, we're not making those active choices. Like, people marry for a lot of reasons, like Maya said. Whether it's money, whether it's love. If we marry for whatever reason we want, let us do that. But those expectations, it's easy to be like, Mind your business. Who cares what those what those people say? Especially who cares what white people say? That's the energy that I try to live my life by. But the fact that we're even having this conversation, 
yes, let's divest from the white gaze. But the fact that we're even having this conversation means that we are in a place of privilege. If we're having a conversation about luxury, Maya's talking about waking up, looking at stocks, and being able to do whatever she mm-hmm. wants all day. That, honestly, we just got to check ourselves for a sec. Like, that, mm-hmm. that means we are in a position of privilege. And especially how, like, North America is set up, in America and in Canada where I am, if we are in those places of privilege, that also means we are surrounded, probably, most likely, by a bunch of white people. Mm. So we can try to divest from that gaze as much as possible, but it's around us. And their opinions and what they think of us and whether they're looking down on our luxury and asking where we got our money and all that bullshit, that does infiltrate our lives and it does affect us. And I think that is so frustrating and annoying when you are a Black woman wearing something that is luxury or a designer brand and we can afford this for ourselves and no one believes that or someone is projecting that and we're getting walked around the store someone you know we've all been in designer stores and had had the the clerk Mm -hmm. following us around like we can't afford shit when we can and that's really frustrating and that is again that is a a, a rich person problem but it's still something that affects us and our self-worth and it goes back to the conversation of like who decides what luxury is? Mm. And most of the time, it's not us. Mm. Ooh. And you're so right, Kathleen. And the funniest thing is that we have those experiences, but we still keep knocking on that door, mm. right? And it's really hard. Again, like you said, Kathleen, like we want to divest and we have so many amazing Black-owned brands and luxury lines that have been created, founded, not even in the past year, over the past 20 years. You know, we can go far back as Dapper Dan and we can bring it all the way up to Telfar and the list goes on and on and on. So we have those spaces, but I do think there is still this thing in our brain of like we keep knocking on this door of traditional luxury, right? That like, even though we know it's not true, we still see that Gucci Louis Prada and we're like, hmm, hmm, interesting, you know? Like, and I don't know what that is because you're right. The definition of luxury has changed so much, Kathleen, but we still haven't really quite been able to break that bond when it comes to high fashion and what, you know, regularly is considered luxury, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's also about wanting access to spaces that we've been excluded from, mm. you know? So it's, yes, there are all those amazing Black designers that you mentioned, but that clout of luxury, those spaces that we've been excluded from, those stores that we've been followed around, they're the Gucci. They're the whatever white-owned brand that has the Anna Wintour sign-off. Mm. And so whatever that is, it's internalized, it's all that. But if we feel like if we then are able to wear that, to walk around with that bag, then we are somehow included in that space that we've been excluded from. And I think that that is like a way to clap back at those stereotypes, to to prove everybody wrong. And it that is in us somewhere. And we should divest from that. We should be like, F that, who cares? So, you know, we talked about the Met Gala. Anna Wintour decides which designers come to the Met Gala. And then Mm. those designers decide which celebrities show up into the Met Gala in their stuff. And so we all still put weight on, like, who's at the Met Gala? What are they wearing? But we're not thinking about who's in the room who decides which designer is there and who's going to dress who. Like, that is all cyclical. And then that trickles down to the high schools in Florida where everybody's wearing the flashy belts 
and the designers and what is cool and our self-worth is determined by like 10 white people in a room. Mm, it's all And black fault. designers are excluded <laughs> from that. Yeah. Honestly. Had to get real close. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. You're right. It, it's literally all Anna's fault and like maybe three other people who are, like you said, sitting in a room and just deciding what fashion is. It's Devil Wears Prada, the Cerulean speech. Like we know that mm-hmm. this is real. This is true. If you haven't watched it, please do. It's a literally a revelation. But... I think that that's one of the things that we just have to be honest about, like even here talking to you guys and like in the world that I have certain expectations of luxury that are wild and unfounded, but they exist. And my concept of what luxury is, is not the life that I lead because then I think, okay, that's not what this is supposed to be. But I feel like it also means that that there's opportunity now to redefine what luxury actually means. And that is what we should be spending our time doing. Steph, you said you're spending time in your space with yourself. Like, that's what fills up your cup. For you, like, what is luxury as we're talking about this? Yeah, I mean, to go back to Kathleen's point about, like, divesting from the white gaze and white opinion and, you know, this, like, this notion that luxury is is excess. I think it's time for us to... Um, you know, redefine what that is. And I, as I'm speaking now, I'm thinking about like childhood going into like my preteen and high school years. And my mom, bless her, love her. She always wanted me to have nice things. Even if she had to like save up for it, she would save up for it. And then for Christmas, maybe I would get like a Dooney and Burke bag or I had the, um, y'all remember the Tiffany heart attack necklace? Yeah. I had one of those. And I loved those things back then, but I'm realizing that now that I'm older, those things, I I don't necessarily seek those things to feel luxurious. I think luxury to me is just allowing myself to enjoy the things that make me feel good. And what makes someone feel good looks different for everybody, right? But for me, it's just you know, not allowing other other people's perceptions of luxury to influence your own. I can go to a thrift store right now and find a one-of-a-kind piece and feel luxurious in it. And, you know, I only spent $5 on it versus spending $500 on it. I think luxury can be surrounding yourself with people who uplift you and make you feel good. It just, it doesn't have to always be this excessive, you know, gaudy performance. Mm. I, I don't think it has to be... It just, it just doesn't always have to involve money, basically. Mm. I think luxury can be something spiritual, too. Ooh. See, just resident vibes, because she's just going <laughs> to go ahead and drop drop this after we're talking about Gucci, Louis, Prada, and she's going to come to us with some real energy, because you're right. And I think one of the things you said, which is so real, is that luxury is not a performance, and it it shouldn't be. And I think for a lot of us, in a lot of ways, you know, We're scrolling through our feeds. We're on 17 screens at a time. Luxury is a performance (laughs) in a lot of ways. Like, Maya, you talked a lot about how, you know, last episode, you're not looking at so-and-so's feed. You're not trying to be where they are. That's not my race. Like, I feel like we do get caught up in this idea of luxury is performance, and that's what it is. It's not even for the person who's showing it off. It's for everyone else. (laughs) So you see that you can get it and you got it and other people don't. And I think we've we've gotten, we've reached like a stage where it's hyper performance, right? Because we're all inside. And so the only audience we have is through our phones in a lot of ways, you know? 
Steph, you just made like the biggest alarm go off in my head when you were like, I don't need those things anymore. The word worth just kept popping up because Mm. I think a lot of times we determine our self-worth off of the recognition of these luxurious things. So if Mm -hmm. somebody recognizes I have these nice things in their mind, I'm worth more and their Mm. acceptance and appreciation fuels how I feel about myself. And then as you get older, you don't need that anymore. So it's like, I don't care if they know I have on fill in the blank. I within myself feel worthy. So therefore, these things don't really matter. Mm. So That resonates because I went to an all-white private school. And all those girls had those Dunienberg bags and Chanel, like all this stuff. And while me being gifted those things, it, it had nothing to do with that. I admittedly did feel a little bit more like everybody else because I had those things. So I kind of felt like, okay, cool. Like I'm keeping up with them. They see me. We're like from the same place, but not Mm -hmm. really, right? And I think when we talk about self-worth, like so much of this conversation, we're we're bringing back like high school experiences Mm -hmm. of like, you know, I didn't have that bag. I didn't have this thing because our self-worth is tied in a lot of ways to these things and that the performance and that you do, I think, age out of. There's also a Mm. lot of, as Maya was talking, of thinking of like the stages of our life that we define by things. And so luxury then becomes a, okay, I'm a, I'm a grown-up if I then have this thing. And so when Mm -hmm. I was growing up, there was a lot of like, I thought luxury meant, oh, by this age, I'm going to have this thing and I'm going to show it off. Mm -hmm. And then if I have this, someone's going to realize like, oh yeah, she's a grown-up now. She's got this car. I don't even drive, but she's got this car (laughs) and, you know, she's got this bag. She's got a Birkin. That means she's a grown-ass lady. And now, and I might just be old and broke, but I... At 25, 25. Yeah, thank you. Um, Old and broke at 25. Don't fact check Mm -hmm. that. I just don't have the same, my self-worth is not tied to those external things anymore. It's about family and friends and connection. And like when Steph said, I am luxurious, I feel Mm -hmm. the most luxurious when I am surrounded by the wealth of my friends and family and Mm. their warmth. And like my nephew just started school this fall and he's three years old and my nephew does not like me, but when I get, <laughs> I got to work for that smile. When I get that smile, I feel like that is a million dollars. Like that is, and again, I might just be be old and boring now, but that is luxury to me. And that is beautiful. I mean, oh. Kathleen, if you're 25 and old, then what am I? but no I don't I don't think that makes you old though I think that just makes you human like to go back to the point uh that we made earlier that luxury is not a performance like we were talking about luxury earlier and the first visual that came to mind was popping bottles of crystal on a yacht like what is that (laughs) and I think that ah man like when I think of luxury I think of just being able to be like the most authentic expression of myself. And that so often Mm. comes from connecting with family, being around friends and living and living a life in a way that you're allowed to be real and to just be present and, um, you know, express your gratitude for those things. I think that's, that's luxury. And that doesn't make you old. (laughs) Mm. And and that is a luxury. (laughs) And that is, like you said, Kathleen, a privilege in a lot of ways. And especially for Black women, right? To have that luxury of time, space and energy, that that's amazing. And I think, Steph, one of the things you said was having that Dooney and Burke purse felt like safety. 
a little yeah. bit, right? Like that's a little bit of a shield, right? Like a little bit of a defense mechanism when it comes to going out in the world. And sometimes we needed that armor, right? Maybe it wasn't our most authentic selves, but we needed it at the time to stand up and be able to to take what was being pushed at us. Because girl, I also went to an all-white high school and that shit was tough. Mm. So like, <laughs> that's very real. And now I think as we get older and as we mature and, you know, step into new seasons of our lives, it feels like maybe we don't need that security blanket in the same way that we did, right? That like luxury has moved from being a sense of safety to a real sense of self. And I feel like that is like the most luxurious thing that we could be doing for ourselves every day. So I love that. (laughs) And we all deserve to feel good. So whether or not you've been thinking about BET Uncut, checking your stocks or just like taking your time, you deserve it, sis. Okay. Point blank. Period. (laughs) And with that, we have reached the end of our discussion. Well, Not quite the end, because we are at my favorite part of the conversation. Yes, my dears, we're talking about the Don't At Me. And if you're new, true, or just want to hear me say it again, the Don't At Me is the portion of the conversation where we get to tie a bow on everything we've talked about. We give you some food for thought and just some luxurious energy to move about your day. And in case the title wasn't clear, you can't at us, okay? We don't want to hear it. Absolutely nothing. No. Nunca. Nine. No. Heart emoji. And for today, I'm going to give this don't at me to our dearest Maya, who is already giving lessons in luxury today. So give us one more at this don't at me, Maya. Hi, this is your fave Maya coming to you live from New York Fashion Week. (laughs) You guys, Black luxury is luxury. Being Black is a luxury, okay? All these standards that are preconceived and created for us We don't need to follow them. We are the trend. We make the trend. We are the wave. So if you want to get flown out, get flown out, okay? If you want to make your own money, make your own money. And we hear what? Nothing. Back talk? (laughs) It's quiet. Ain't no back talk. Because at the end of the day, we spend money on us, our friends, and we live our life because the money's going to come back to us fivefold, shoot, tenfold, okay? So while you're sitting out there thinking, you know what? My life may not be luxurious. It is. And it always will be. Why? Because you have the luxury of getting up every day, having some clothes on your back and food on the table. Now, if we want to level up, we can do that. But guess what? We have to invite those positive vibes into our life with doing what? Positive thinking. So if you want to be a billionaire, you got to say, I'm going to be a billionaire and work towards that. Never do what I did and put yourself in the backseat Or think less of yourself because you are not at a specific place at a specific time. You are that girl or that man or they, however you identify, and you will always be that. So don't let anybody, especially, 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 especially white person make you feel like you are not. Okay? And that's all it is to being luxurious. Be yourself, baby. And y'all already know, don't at me. Welcome to season five of the Go Off Sis podcast brought to you by Target, our destination for celebrating ourselves and our success this year. This season, we're reminding you what it means to be that girl. From breaking generational curses to building ownership and just straight up luxuriating, we are using our voices to lead the culture forward because you know we own it. 
So whether you're looking to build out your new space or just take up space, Target has what we need to embrace our personal style and make sure you're ready to own whatever room you walk into. To learn more, head over to Target.com. So we are so excited to welcome one of our faves to the podcast, Elaine Welteroth. Okay, she doesn't really need an introduction, but let's give her the freshest bouquet of flowers because that's what we do here at Go Off This, all right? She is a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning journalist, former Teen Vogue editor-in-chief, judger of fashions on Project One Way, former co-host of The Talk, activist, masterclass master, and yes, okay, she stays booked and busy, but more importantly, she's always bringing the energy wherever she goes, and for that, we love her. Unbothered family, please welcome Elaine Welteroth to the Go Off Sis podcast. That might be my that the best introduction I've ever had. Oh, <laughs> thank you. That, that is very sweet. I love you guys. I love the energy here. Thank you so. Thank you. Thank you so much. So today we were talking it earlier about luxury, and that's really the theme of today's episode. And you're really like the perfect person to dig into this with to really talk about. You've seen really every facet of luxury and been really one of the people who's defined it for us and for so many Black women. And so I think this conversation I'm really excited about to dig into what you think luxury is, how we define it for ourselves, and how we can grow it with each other. But first, because we start off every episode with this a fun little question. And so we asked our roundtable, what was the last thing that you splurged on or felt luxurious about doing, however you interpret that? Ooh. Oh, goodness. I love this question. The last thing I felt luxurious about doing or the last thing I splurged on. You know, I don't really buy a lot of things. I'm actually quite frugal. My friends all make fun of me for it. And I think it's something that would surprise people who don't really know me very well. But I did splurge recently on, and I will splurge on vintage and feel mm. good about it. I got this Celine purse. It's like Crayola green and it has this gold hardware. It's old Celine and it has like this really cute, like really unique kind of like shape. Mm. I, I wish I had it here so I can show you. It actually matches this artwork perfectly. <laughs> of course it it's does. Bo- I haven't even worn it yet. I just bought it from the vintage store. It's one of those things that you're just like, I don't even go anywhere anymore. <laughs> I don't even like wear purses really. But when I do, I'm wearing this this beauty. And for now, I just want to look at her in my closet. And then that's, that is some real bougie-ness, you know, to buy something that you just want to look at in your closet. You know what I mean? You just want to be it. You know, I just want to be a collector of beauty in my closet sometimes. So yeah, that's my last, that's my last splurge. That's a good one. And I feel like, okay, some of, we can all relate. Like I have a baby blue fur coat in my in my closet. And I'm like, what? I'm never wearing this. <laughs> I told one of our producers that like, maybe if we have a player haters ball, like that's where I'll, I'll figure out a place to wear it. But like just having it, it makes me feel like my in case of emergency luxury item, just to even there look you go. at. Yeah. There you go. Or like Halloween, you can be fabulous. Ooh. You know, Fabulous's girlfriend or something. I, actually, I can I tell you about the splurge I'm about to yes. partake in? So, because this is also very new. This is like, this is new Elaine. This is like LA Elaine. Mm. I, I never, I haven't driven a car in like 13 years because I've lived in New York and 
taken the subways and taken Ubers and taxis and stuff or walked everywhere. But now in LA, it's like your car is almost the thing you think about investing in more than your outfits. Mm-hmm. You know, like in, in, in New York, you invest in what you put on your body because that is what you tell the world who you are. Like, that's how you express to the world who you are walking down mm. the street. You know, most people aren't going to come to your house. You know, most people, you know, you're not driving anywhere, right? So mm-hmm. you invest everything into your wardrobe. But in LA, you're seeing people in their car, you're driving here and there, you live in your car. So I... I have had this vintage obsession since moving here and I am going to buy a vintage Mercedes 1986. It's the same year I was born and it is like crispy cream and it has like buttery interior and it is like my dream car and I'm about to buy it like maybe this weekend. So I finally found it. Like I've made up my mind. It's happening. That's real luxury to be like, yeah, I'm just going to buy my vintage car, my birthday car this weekend. It's nothing. It's <laughs> just, you know. Thinking, no, girl, I told you I was frugal. I've been thinking about this for like a full six months. Like I am not an impulse shopper. I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. Finally found it, then left it there, walked away for a few weeks. Like it's a convertible. It's like, Ooh. it's it's such an LA moment. And my, oh my God, my, you guys, that is so funny. My mechanic, I'm sorry, my mechanic just called me about the car. See, look at that. You're speaking that into existence, literally. Wow. And that's some like real, I feel like old school auntie vibes, right? Just like rolling down the street in that convertible, like cream interior, you know, like you Mm -hmm. really were someone in 1986 with that car and you're going to be someone in 2021 with that car. And honestly, I'm so glad you said the auntie thing because that, the reason I'm getting that car and the reason I'm attracted to that car is because my auntie, my aunt Janet drove that same exact car. And to me, and we're talking about luxury today, to me, like she was that rich auntie, you know, like now I know, I know now, like she wasn't like technically rich, but to me, she was that rich auntie. She had taste, she had style, she was elegant. She was a business owner. She was Mm. mysterious. She was like an enigma to me. And like, she would drive me around in her top-down vintage Mercedes. And I was just like, you can't tell us nothing. Nothing. <laughs> that nothing. is luxury. That's, That's luxury. luxury. <laughs> and that was my introduction to luxury through mm. my Aunt Janet, who owned a hair salon. Well, first she was at a hair salon called um, Black Heritage, H-A-I-R. Yes. And then she started her own called The Place to Be. And it was in Santa Clara. It was where all of the professional Black women in the mm. Bay Area, went to get their hair done, which as you guys know, it's a, it's hard as professional Black women to find a really, you know, top tier salon to go to for all of your, your beauty needs, right? Like mm-hmm. that, you know, really professional that know how to do it all. That was the place to be. And my, my Aunt Janet owned, owned that place. And I would go on Saturdays, I would sweep up hair and I would talk to all the ladies and you know it was it was a formative part of my identity honestly looking back and that car was a part of it I was like mm. one day I'm gonna be that girl I'm gonna be that auntie <laughs> you know what I mean and now I'm gonna be that auntie that's when you know you've made it right you got that car like I re- forget about everything else because I think one of the things you're saying is that like you're, you're actually like frugal by nature right but like these sort of pieces that defined luxury for you or those are sort of like the markers of success or energy or you know what we what we want to be and aspire to be it sounds like that there are some things that helped you define that even despite being frugally in your life very well said absolutely I love that energy Ooh, okay 
we're going to get you a car then. <laughs> yes. Shout out to my Aunt Jan. For this luxury conversation, we also kind of zoomed out and talked about the fashion world and kind of what defines luxury outside of ourselves. You know, as Chelsea mentioned in her intro, you were the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. And we know that institutions like Vogue typically have been the ones to define luxury for us. So in the fashion world, who gets to define luxury? Well, I think that is changing right now. I think historically, as we all know, you know, we learned about luxury through the lens of whiteness and privilege. And I am very glad that that is starting to change now, but we still have such a long way to go. You know, I think while, I mean, I don't, there's, this is like such a big, complex, deep conversation. I don't really know where to jump in, but I think that Black people have always managed to write themselves into the definition of luxury, even though marginalized folks have, like, sort of by design, been pushed out of the narrative of luxury from its origins. And I think, like, we've found a way, somehow, somehow, some way, I mean, Black folks will spend their last dime on luxury on Gucci slides and Air Jordans and that desire to attach your identity to that which is deemed valuable in society runs so deep. And it's been a part of our culture and it's been something that has been critiqued for a long time. But I think that what gives me hope is that the definition of luxury is starting to be rewritten and it's being rewritten by us. And so before, you know, when we would think about luxury, we would only think about it through the lens of whiteness and aspiring to these privileged kind of exclusive, rarefied worlds that we were isolated from, that we were, that we were locked out of, you know, systemically. And I think now it's like we're building our own worlds and we are redefining luxury through the lens of blackness, actually. I think for a lot of us, luxury now is buying black. Luxury now is investing in our own communities. Luxury now is a feeling, a vibe. It's about being a part of a community. It's logos that are for us, by us. It's, it's like there's a new energy and culture around this kind of reclamation of luxury. And I, I'm here for it, you know, and I'm here for the designers that are pushing for that. I'm here for the celebrities who understand the platforms they have and the importance of using their platforms to amplify Black designers who for too long been iced out of the luxury conversation for simply just lack of access, like lack of access to luxury manufacturers, lack of access to investors, lack of access to resources. And a lot of that hasn't fully changed. So we're, we're, we're starting to understand luxury now as being synonymous with ownership and, you know, owning our own narratives, owning our own brands, owning our community. And, and in terms of our customer and for so long, Black businesses and designers were not thriving and were not able to even if they were attempting to position themselves in the luxury space, they were unsuccessful because unfortunately their customer was going outside of their community. 
and still associating luxury with whiteness. And we still see that. Like, let's not, let's not get it twisted. There's progress being made. The conversation is changing in the culture. But as I said, we have a long way to go. Mm. Oh, so, so many gems in that, in that just conversation. Because I think one of the things that you're bringing up and one of the tensions that we talked about a little bit and want to sort of get your take on is this, this idea of like, once we do get access, right, what do we do? with that access? What does yeah. that look like, right? Mm-hmm. How do we try to have that energy where we're not catch, trying to catch up with the next Gucci slides, but still being in spaces where there, there are tons of Gucci slides, right? Like, what does that look like once we are in those spaces and are able to have that ownership? Because it's hard. It's hard a lot to, to be able to weigh both of those at the same time, knowing that historically this hasn't been for us, but now we're reclaiming it by us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I, I have so much respect for those of us who are penetrating these rarefied spaces and changing them from the inside out. You know, the change agents in fashion, like the Kirby's of the world with Pierre Moss, like Telfar. I think like there's a whole new cohort of Black designers who are playing in this luxury space who are not playing by the rules, mm-hmm. who are changing the rules and really changing the game just by how they're showing up in the space and in these spaces. And just by being authentically themselves, being true to their customer, I was really moved by Kirby's couture show over the summer. I I feel like that was more than a fashion event. That was a cultural event. Mm. And it was this amazing kind of confluence of, you know, political activism. I mean, he had Elaine Brown from the Black Panther Party. I don't even think people knew what he was giving them. I don't think that moment in particular, which opened the show, will even be fully appreciated until years, years, years from now when we're looking back and there's a documentary on that moment. I get chills. I was emotional watching it because I understood what he was doing. And it was so subversive. It's like through the lens of couture, you're bringing a, a Black Panther to a couture show and you're doing it in a this Black legend's house mm. and you are bringing Black men who are defying this like toxic masculine stereotypical representation of Black men, bringing them on stage without their shirts, with these white pants, coming together as a brotherhood, dancing on stage like we do. You're not giving us some air quote high art version of Black culture. You're giving it to us raw. You're you're not code switching. You're not assimilating. It's our music. And then you're showing us our inventions through history. And you're doing it through the lens of couture. Like that has never been done before. And I think a lot of people got caught up in critiquing that the fashion, you know, of it. I'm mm-hmm. like, y'all don't see that this is so much bigger mm-hmm. than a fashion show. Like mm-hmm. if you, you can have your opinions about that, but that is so secondary to what he is doing in this space. It is a, it is radical. It is really remarkable. And I, I don't even know if he got enough credit for what he did. I, that example stands out, but there are so many micro examples of 
these change makers who are at the forefront of redefining what black luxury looks like. Mm. And, you know, Brandon Blackwood is doing that. I mean, his end, end systemic racism tote, which went gangbusters, it put him on the map, but he is very clear about his function in this game. And he is not trying to sort of be known as this like one hit wonder who made this, this sort of tote that kind of got appropriated in a moment where everyone was just sort of virtue signaling and looking for the next black thing to say that they're associated with. Like he pulled his, he pulled that bag off the market to make a statement. He could have made more money leaving that bag on the market, but he took it off the market to make a statement that is, you know, bigger than a capitalistic interest, which in the, in, you know, historically, that's the only thing that we associate luxury with, right? Capitalism. But his cause is greater than, the, than his capitalistic interest. And that's luxury to a mm. new generation of consumers. That's luxury, you know, and he's in his 20s. He's just getting started. And he is dedicated to maintaining 100% ownership because to him, luxury is ownership. And so for me, that energizes me about where we're going and how things are going to be changing. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm honestly, it makes me excited to, to be in this space and to know these people who are history makers, who again, years and years from now, when we're recalling you know, through history, who made these changes, we're going to be talking about these people who are literally in our generation, our peer set. And I just think that's, that makes me excited to be, to be alive and to be a part of this conversation in this moment in time. And there are a lot of bad things happening too in the world, <laughs> but this is one sliver of like the culture that actually does give me hope. You just gave so much knowledge. Like, you answering questions without me having to even ask, like you. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about luxury as a performance and how with social media, it feels like luxury is more about showing off. So how do you feel that social media fits into this, this conversation? That's a really interesting question. I do think, I do think historically luxury is about a flex. <laughs> yeah. It's about haves and have nots and striving to be a part of the class that has what you don't. I don't know historically if luxury could exist without a sense of hierarchy and superiority and exclusivity. But I think that that is changing with folks like Brandon Blackwood and Telfar, who's making a bag that is, you know, by all standards, in terms of if you ask Black folks, like that's a luxury handbag and it's relatively affordable when you compare it to historically sort of high-end fashion brands, which are in the thousands. And it is like, I'm a part of this community. I'm a part of this club. I'm part of this thing. And I do think that maybe that's interwoven into our understanding of what luxury is, even as we redefine it, you know, and I think we have to be mindful of the things that we like, even at, when we appropriate or reclaim or redefine a thing that was traditionally white, I think we have to be really careful about what we're leaving behind and what we're taking with us mm. and what can be damaging and problematic about like the virtues or the values that are, that are coming with this historically very like white privilege construct. 
I think sometimes we don't necessarily break down that construct all the way before we give it new life, you know? And, and I think, and sometimes it's problematic. Sometimes it's not. I mean, in the case of Telfar, I, I love, I love a Telfar flex, you know what I mean? Like, and there is a sense of like, who can wear this and who can't like, Mm -hmm. if you're corny and you're not like with the culture, you're not about the culture you don't get to wear that bag. Like there's a certain (laughs) swag and like value system and it it communicates something about the individual. And I think at its best, that's what fashion is supposed to do. Mm. You know, it's supposed to be a form of self-expression that's authentic. And I think, you know, logo mania was huge in the, in the nineties. And it's something that hip hop embraced. And in some ways I think it felt a little, problematic at times because it's like we don't have resources in our community and yet we're encouraging and promoting you know people to go out here and spend money they don't have you know on logos that we had nothing to do with and that frankly don't want to have anything to do with us (laughs) and but I think now it's like we're we're embracing designs by black designers who look like us who share our values I don't think one is better than the other necessarily but I do think for us as a culture, luxury is defined by some measure of a flex. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. And Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's like, I spent money on this. I want you to know I spent money on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fine too. And I think like one of the things that you also sort of came back to is this idea of like shared values, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and what is the value system that we're putting up against luxury? And I think for Black people, in a lot of ways, it's community, right? So whatever that means, giving back to, even flexing in front of, like (laughs) that community aspect, I think is that like shared value that we really find with Black luxury that you may not find in other spaces. I think fashion is a medium for messaging and Mm. those who use it mindfully I applaud. And I also think those who climb those ranks behind the scenes become decision makers. They're dealing with a lot of politics and they have to maneuver and they have to survive in order to have power, you know, and change things from the inside. So I'm, I'm never going to critique somebody who's a part of a system that they're trying to change. Mm-hmm. I want to shift a little bit because I think one of the things that you said in your book more than enough is when the music changes, so must your dance, right? Mm-hmm. Which a little bit of what we're talking about now, right? When your values change, when you grow up, when things maybe aren't serving you like they were before, you have to shift what you're doing and your energy. And it seems like right now you're also in a transitional phase of closing one chapter, opening another. And can you just talk a little bit about that music change and sort of what your priorities might be now, maybe than they were a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, I can say certainly for myself, what I am prioritizing in my life looks completely different than it did in 2020 or 2019 or, you know, 2010 when I was 21. Um, Don't fact check my age on that. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, big shifts in priorities happened as a result of 2020. Like for a lot of people, you know, I think when the world slowed down, it gave us time to reflect and reprioritize. And I feel like I had such an incredible run in New York and that grind culture was such a big part of it. And it was such a big part of that era too, but it felt like the music was changing and it felt like it was, you know, it was time for my dance to change. And so, you know, once 
the like blinders came off, if you will, of, of like, I'm in this race in this city, and this is all that matters. And like, started to see like the world so much bigger. And there are so many different ways you can live your life. And there's so many, it's up to me to define success. And I get to redefine success my own, you know, for myself. And what does that look like now that literally nobody's checking for you or anybody else, because we're all at a standstill. So like, I felt like it on some level, you know, global pandemic and the atrocity that came with it aside, I think on an individual level, if you were able to reassess your life and make different decisions about how you wanted your life to look and how you wanted to define success going forward, like, man, it was a blessing in a way. And for me, I just knew I was like, I tapped in and I could feel I was like, you know what, this chapter is closed. Like mm. I did New York, like, I did it. And <laughs> I am big on like leaving on a high, like I'm big on like, mm. you know, you drop the mic with anything. It's like identifying the point of diminishing returns. Mm. Okay. That is how I navigate relationships, friendships, work. I'm just like, have I reached the point of diminishing returns? And I looked around in New York and I thought I did. I did it. And it's time for the next. And I was like, I just knew in my spirit, like LA was calling. I'm from California originally. My family is here. I've always known like at some point LA will call me and I will, and I will come and it will make sense and it will feel right. And I just trust the timing of my life. And, and it felt right. I was like, it was kind of like that. It was like, Mm. I'm moving to LA and I'm going to buy a house. And then I literally put down in the middle, like it was, it was February, 2020, right before the pandemic hit, actually, I was planning my, my, uh, bachelorette party, or it was my bachelorette retreat. And I, I was just like, I'm moving to LA and I put a down payment on a house sight unseen Mm. and was like, I'm just going to go. And then the pandemic hit and we got into this like bidding war. And I was like, is this smart? (laughs) 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 And And like they shut, I couldn't travel to go see it. And I was like, okay, pump breaks on this particular home. But this house represented something bigger for me. It was, it was like, you know, the Easter egg, it's like, this represents, this is a piece of something bigger. And like, I might not be this house. It may not be this moment, but now my sights are set here and I'm gonna make a plan and take the the right amount of time and like, and do make this thing happen. So anyway, all that to say, like I, I upped and moved to LA and it felt so right. And I was in pursuit of nothing more than more life, more space, more light. Mm. Like literally, that's it. Everything that I do for a living, really, and especially during the pandemic, I could do from anywhere. I could do it from Japan. So it allowed me to kind of take off again, like those blinders that, that kept me in this rigid, small existence of like, New York is the Mecca Mm. of everything. There's nowhere else you can possibly be successful. You got to be in New York. And I was like, actually, that's not true. People are moving upstate. People are moving back home. People are moving all over. Like, where do I want to be? I want to be in the sunlight and I want more space and I want 
I want more of a well-rounded life. Mm. I want to go outside. I want to learn how to cook. I want to learn how to like be an adult fully. And it felt amazing to move out here and to commit to that kind of transition, that change in my life. And I'm, I'm still, I have not mastered domestication. Okay. I'm not like a cook yet or anything, but like I have a home and I'm building a home. I'm, I'm investing in myself in ways that I haven't before. I started doing therapy. I'm doing acupuncture. I'm working out. I'm spending time with people that I choose versus in an intentional way versus in New York, you kind of just like fall into circles and you bump into people and you go to everything. And like now it's just, it's everything is much more intentional. Mm. And it is about how this is serving me, how I can serve it. And it's just a lot more solitude. And I, for me, these are my new priorities. These are kind of the new structures that make me feel safest and healthiest and happiest. And I'm just grateful that I could heed that call. You know, mm. that's, a, that's a luxury to be able to heed that call, to be able to slow down your mind enough and your life enough to be able to like feel when that music is changing, to have the, the, the means to be able to up and go have a career that is so multifaceted and so mobile that like I could do, you know, what I want and what inspires me and from anywhere. I mean, like, and then, you know, opportunities came once I landed here that I, that I didn't move for and that I didn't see coming. And, and it, it also changed the value of those things. It's like, okay, do I want to do this? How does this serve me? How does this fit into the larger picture? Cause I didn't, I don't need this. And I didn't come for this. And I, that is to me, that's a luxury. Like Mm -hmm. that's liberation. That is to me, success is liberation. And to me, luxury is being able to own your, how you spend your time Mm -hmm. and, and to have a quality of life. And I don't, I sound so 30s. I sound so mid 30s. <laughs> no, right now. I, I, I sound 30s because that's what I was saying to wake no, up and just do whatever. Yeah. Yes. There's, yeah. It's very real. So real. And I mean, I feel like I'm feeling you because I'm also, don't fact check <laughs> that, around, around, around the 30 something maybe. And I'm about to get married in a couple weeks. And <laughs> planning is real. I know you know. Uh, especially in a pandemic, I had to postpone a thing and blah, blah, blah. But your wedding on your stoop before you moved, it was in New York. That was just such a beautiful (sighs) celebration. It was such a moment of lightness in the darkness of the pandemic as well. I think I cried (laughs) for like an hour just scrolling through the pictures. It was was so, so beautiful. So first of all, thank you for sharing that with us and letting us in on that moment of joy. But also selfishly, I just want to know if you have any pre-wedding tips for me, <laughs> any advice. Girl. Move to LA. That's the advice. <laughs> Keep it tight. Like, it, honestly, and this actually factors back into our conversation, our filters back into our conversation about luxury, because we are told that a wedding, a big, beautiful wedding is supposed to look this way. It's like there's this cookie cutter image of what a wedding is supposed to be, what a bride's supposed to look like, what she's supposed to wear. And like, honestly, my wedding contradicted all of those norms. And I personally feel like I had the best wedding ever. It was the wedding that not to be like super corny, but like it was the wedding that God orchestrated Mm -hmm. for me. Mm. It was the one I would would have done for myself. We would have done for ourselves. Like 
it would have paled in comparison in comparison and and it was such a great opportunity and i this is i say this to you because i'm i don't know how you're getting married i don't know how you're choosing to do it but be intentional about how you want to feel what matters most to you and build your wedding around that please feel free to abandon everything <laughs> you've heard and seen about what a successful beautiful wedding looks like for us we said okay we're getting married in the middle of a pandemic so our guiding principle is we're having a no stress wedding zero stress so if this thing is bringing me stress mm. it's like there's a filter and you are being filtered out whether it's a person place thing mm. vendor designer like i was supposed to have i've never really talked about this but i was supposed to have this designer dress and that thing went left that whole process was so stressful girl i wore a dress that was in my closet that i have had since teen vogue i found it on the like free pile at teen vogue when i was a beauty director years ago it just collect us in my and i was like you know i do have this in all of my friends my friends in fashion my designer friends they were like that's the dress mm. it was a labelless dress and it made me feel the most beautiful i had my quarantine braids in and they were popping we we like did a little thing with them i mean invest in flowers cuz flowers can completely transform any space into a magical altar for your love that's the only thing that i really invested in and i would say be super picky about the energies that you invite into your mm -hmm. wedding mm -hmm. from your guests to your vendors because energy transfers and you deserve this day to really protect the sanctity of your love and like i'm big on keeping the main thing the main thing if you're super like crystal clear on what that main thing is for you then all of the other decisions that become overwhelming become easier to make because you have you have clear vision you have filters and you have priorities and like everything will be everything will come so much easier to you so i i pray that you can like experience a wedding that is beautiful and like so you and that you don't feel stressed out by other people's expectations of what that needs to be you know that's what i hope for you oof you know when the universe or god like sends you a message right <laughs> when you need it that that's it elaine thank you so much that i needed to hear that today right now in this moment Ooh. oh i'm i'm like virtually hugging you i'm so happy for you thank you're you. gonna be such a beautiful bride oh, how i just i have so many questions but i'm gonna hold them for later but congratulations to thank you thank you i love that oh all right well thank you so much elaine for just like being here giving us your energy being so vulnerable and free and also just being available for the culture and i think everything we've been talking about that in order to do it you have to see it first and you're one of those change makers Elaine so thank you thank you so much i appreciate you guys so much i love this is like the most fun i've had on the podcast thank you guys so much The Go Off This Podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Crystal Devone, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Stephanie Long. 
Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at RT9Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.